0: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy, presented by the Right Pack Radio Podcasting Network. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being a part of this, the 11th episode of this weekly podcast. And I also hope you're listening to Right Pack Radio because this is a part of the Right Pack Radio podcasting network. You can download a new episode every Sunday. Um, It's always a different roundtable discussion with some really great, uh, great authors in the St. Louis area. Uh, with a whole lot to talk about in terms of writing, um, in both the structure of it, the, sk- um, the tricks of the trade, pop culture in general, always a really fun listen. So I hope you guys are paying attention to that. Now, I started being a part of Write Pack Radio around 2016, and it was a couple of years before that, that's when I really took notice of all the different types of writing groups that are um, that have sprouted up around Facebook. And normally it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of different people that are saying, uh, I'll like your page if you like mine. And those are always good to a point. Um, Facebook has kind of changed its algorithm now so that it's a little more difficult to do that. And a little bit, a little bit less of uh, less productive to do that. Um, But what a lot of the other Facebook groups do is they support each other. They root for each other. They use the group as kind of like a sounding board if um, if they need to uh, vent about something, if they need to vent about low sales, if they need to vent about um, a manuscript not going right. Uh, they need to congratulate themselves because they just got a big award or they got um, a really big um, sales milestone. And it's it's something that um, that is a great way to kind of like, get out whatever feelings you're thinking of in, um, in a very safe space so you're not letting it out on your own main personal page and coming off as a whiner because people aren't you know, buying your books or you're not able to crack something um, because there are so many people that you're going to be friends with that are likely not writers and they don't understand the, um, that sort of back and forth that you have to deal with all the time. And one, uh, one group in particular is one that I hold very dearly to my heart, and that is uh, called YA Authors Rendezvous. And um, it's a group of great authors, um, everyone coming from all different walks of life, everyone taking on different genres in the young adult category. And I came across one in particular who, as soon as I started seeing the kind of momentum that she was getting as an author... I knew she was somebody that I needed to keep an eye on. And it turns out that I wound up keeping a closer eye on her than expected because the two of us wound up going against each other in the Kindle book review uh, young adult contest in 2015. Now, I had made it all the way up to the semifinals for the using the 2013 edition of Excelsior. Um, it's since it's gotten a lot better in the 2017 version, and I really wish I would have been able to submit that one, but you know, 2020 hindsight, um, made it all the way up to the semifinals, but that's as far as I got in that category. But, uh, but this other author, Amalia John, not only was able to make the semifinals, but then also made the finals. And then made the uh, then actually won in the young adult category uh, with her book The Clay Lion, and it turns out that that was not the only award that that uh, that the Clay Lion would wind up getting. Um, so this uh, this particular book is one that wound up racking up all different types of awards, and then wound up getting. Uh, Getting her enough attention so that she was able to convert that into sales to the point where she is now a USA Today best-selling author, and it's somebody that I am very proud to consider a friend and somebody that uh, that I really wish nothing but the best for. So it is my privilege to introduce her to you today, and that is um, that is Amalia John. Amalia, how are you?
1: Hi, it's good to talk to you. That was a really very glowing introduction. I don't know if I'm worthy of it, but I'll take it.
0: Oh, I, I hold, I hold my friends in high regards and, uh, and whether or not they think they deserve it, I think they do. Um, I
1: appreciate it.
0: (laughs) So, um, so as an author, um, you, since we're, uh, we're right at the end of national novel writing month, you have experience with NaNoWriMo, correct?
1: I've written two. I've never finished. I've never won. Um, I'm a turtle writer. I write very slowly. Um, But I use it every year as a fire under my tail to make myself write, even on the days when I don't have time. I force myself. So it's a good catalyst for me. I've never won, but... I've written the book that I wrote last year for NaNoWriMo was the book that the manuscript that ended up getting me my agent. Um, so it's, it's, it's done well for me this year, not so well, but I do enjoy doing it.
0: Excellent. I'm so thankful to hear that because I've heard so many other people just like, yeah, I've, I've it every time I've done it, you know, like I've, you know, racked up six different manuscripts, you know, you know, for it. And bless them yes that's terrific and I am I give I give them nothing but props but I'm glad to see that uh, that there's someone else who has that same sort of kind of not I don't want to say turtle I want to say you know like we're very you know we are you know we're meticulous you can say
1: I, yeah. I have a problem with editing as I write I edit as I write which is not probably a great way to write and of mm-hmm. course then I still have to go back and completely re-edit things but um i don't have um nanos. i force myself during nano to not do that i just try and get it down as in writing it i think to myself this is a steaming pile of garbage but um it gives me permission to do that so yeah
0: right i uh, i'm definitely with you there so um so when um, um, so let's go back to the very beginning with uh, with writing, so um, what was that one spark for you that made you say, "Yes, I want to go into writing, Yes, that is what I want to do?"
1: Um, I wanted to be a writer. Well, I always sort of considered myself a writer, even as a child, because I did write all the time and I kept thorough journals and all of my teenage angst was um, carefully detailed in those journals. Um, I did a lot of writing, but um, I was discouraged from pursuing that as a career goal by my Family um, and encouraged to pursue something that would pay um, Which I'm grateful for because to be honest, I I could not support my family on my writing Um, so With that being said, I wasn't even able to I tried to major in English in college and unfortunately With my elementary education minor, I couldn't graduate on time with English as my major and elementary education as my minor. So Mm. yeah, so I gave up the English major and took psychology instead, which has served me very, very well in life, I think. Um, But I did miss out. I took as many creative writing classes as I could. Um, I got them in here and there. Um And pursued it outside of college, but I was never able to manage the degree in that. So mm. that's where it sort of started. And then it fell away because I had a family and a job and life took over. And then um, back in 2011, 2012, um, I finally decided to get serious about it again. Nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Very cool, very cool. Um, so what was the um, was it the drive was it like the I need to get back into writing or is it I need to tell this story?
1: I think it was a little bit of both um, i'd been I'd had a bunch of manuscripts that I'd been sort of kicking around for a long time, you know, ten thousand words in, and then they would fall apart. Um, but the clay lion that story um, was the one that the story itself propelled me all the way to the end to a full length um, manuscript for the first time so um i would say a little bit of both and um just determined to finish finish something um right. yeah
0: so what um so the clay lion obviously you know um you know, you know about it a lot more than I do. So, um, and I'm sure you know a lot about more than our listeners do. So tell us a little bit about it, not spoil it, but just like a little nugget that will propel them to go out and get it and continue on in its success.
1: Sure. So The Clay Lion is about a girl, Brooke Wallace, Um, her brother Branson dies in the first chapter of the book he dies of um, a disease called pulmonary fibrosis um, which is a real is a real disease that many people haven't heard of Um, and it's it's the scarring of the lungs the lungs sort of attack themselves Um, and it often leads to death Um, and it it, any age young people old people middle-aged people it Anyway, so that's what he dies from, Um, and she's devastated, losing him, and so she goes back in time to try and save his life. She lives in a time when time travel is available to citizens. It's sanctioned by the government. You get one trip in your life. You have to be 18 years old. You can't go back for more than six months you have to go back into your own life span and the number one rule of course is that you can never never change the past but of course brooke goes back in time with the full intent of changing the past she tries to save her brother that's awesome yeah calamity ensues
0: oh yeah as as all great stories you know have have with that (laughs) so um so you knew that that was going to be like a real, that was going to be one hell of a story. So where in your mythology, you can say, you know, like does the clay line fit? Is that, was that your first one that you really wanted to um, go in and tell?
1: Yes. Yeah, it, it was, that was the first. um, Yes.
0: Awesome. And so, um, so was, did you, have that in mind to be like the start of a, of a series? Did you have that originally thinking that it would be a standalone? And you know, and then when it came out, you realized that you, you had more to tell?
1: Yes. I, so it was completely written as a standalone. Um, when I wrote it, I didn't know that I would ever be able to write anything else. Um, I thought going in, I wrote this one book and that would be it. And that was good enough. Um, mm-hmm. and when it came out, um, you know, I, I let it sit for a little while. Um, I wrote another book in, be- in between and then readers were saying to me and then what? Oh, nice. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, they lived happily ever after. I don't know. Um, and then I started thinking, well, what does come next? And I explored that one avenue of time travel With Brooke and the ramifications of her decisions and and I was having these great conversations with um, young people students that were reading the book and and They love the idea of going back in time to change something even even Middle schoolers, you know, they they love that idea of going back and fixing something or changing something or making something better and and so they were sharing all these amazing ideas with me and I thought to myself I could I could explore this further. I could I could explore other avenues and other consequences of mm-hmm. going back in time and making these changes. And so Tin Men is an exploration of um, another character in The Clay Lion, his experience going back in time. And then A Straw Man is, is an, another character from The Clay Lion and her experience going back in time and how each of them as teenagers do think that they're infallible and it can happen to everyone else, but it won't happen to me. Um, and, and those different, those different choices and changes that happen.
0: So you have the clay lion, you have tin man and you have straw man, right? So it's a safe bet. You're a fan of wizard of Oz.
1: You know, it's funny. I am of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, when I wrote the clay lion, it was, well, the clay lion, to read the book, Brooke carries a clay lion that was created after the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz that she made for Branson when she was a child. And it sort of serves throughout the book as her reminder to be brave and that she can do hard things.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and,
1: and what she thinks is the brave thing at the beginning of the book changes at the end about what real bravery is, looks like. Um, and so that sort of stemmed from that. And then I had a lot of fun playing with those other characters and the following books, how to tie them into the storyline.
0: Nice. That's, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. Um, so once that was out, you know, did you self publish it? Was that the first step to getting it out there?
1: Yes. So, um, you know, it's funny I didn't know what I didn't know when I started Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't even know if I could really write. And so I decided I would just put something out there, never thinking anyone would read it or it would sell, but it was there and it was mine and I did it. I had no idea how to go about um, getting a book traditionally published at that point and it was probably a good thing I didn't try because it would have been a miserable failure and Mm -hmm. and I probably would have given up on the book um, which would have made me sad because I I love this book Um, so I I went through that process and and as the books um, as I continued writing and of course every book you write you know I feel like I grow in my craft and I get a little better and I add things to my um repertoire of things i know how to do now better than i did when i started but now i'm in a place where that series allowed me to grow so much so that i could be where i am now doing the things i'm doing now
0: right that's yeah i, I definitely know where you're coming from when it comes to that because when i um when i wrote when i finished uh, from parts unknown same thing. It was 2002 for me and I didn't know what I didn't know, you know, like when it came to self-publishing and that was during a time where before Amazon suddenly got the idea for the Kindle.
1: Right. So, you
0: know, so self-publishing was really in the dregs. So like if you wanted to self-publish, As soon as you said the word "self-publish," Ex Libris is calling you on the phone all hours of the night, right? You to you know throw like two thousand bucks down the drain so you can get a bunch of books that are that you know just going to sit in your garage,
1: right? Exactly. Yeah.
0: So yeah, this that that was definitely not the uh, that was a dark time for the rebellion. To quote "The Empire Strikes Back." So once that came out and you started to see that people were responding to you as an author, what was that feeling?
1: Oh my God. Um, surreal. I mean, I could cry thinking about you just saying that sentence now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you never expect when you go into something, I think so many of us as authors, we are our own worst critics. and It's very isolating and you sit alone and you're inside your head. Um, and you go back and forth between thinking this is the best thing I've ever written. And you look at it two days later and you said, you know, who wrote this garbage? It mm-hmm. was me. Um, right. So, <laughs> right. And so to have other people, especially, you know, those, those very first, those, those very first weeks. Um, it's a lot of people who know you and love you. And so of course they're going to only say nice things to you, even if they um even if they don't like something, because they like you. Um, But but once other people, people I didn't know, and people who didn't care about my feelings, once they started saying, you know, nice things and um, enjoying the story and being moved by Brooke's journey. Yeah, that was tremendously powerful. And, and every time, you know, a book comes out, I have the book coming out in March and it's the same petrified feeling of are people going to like this? Are they going to connect with my characters and is their life going to be better for having read this book? And I hope so. Yeah. Um, but it's still a scary thing.
0: Oh man. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean when it comes to like that sort of, what what, what would you say? Like almost like paralyzing perfectionism.
1: Right. Because you know, cause
0: you want every, you want every word that you put down to be golden. And the fact that it's not, you know, it's, it's, it can be, you know, very, it, it can be traumatizing almost, you know, cause it can, it can stop your momentum so quickly. It did for me, you know, like with, yeah. um, with greater glory and um, which is part three of my, of the Excelsior journey. And, you know, for that one, for me, um, that's ending a trilogy. So I got that extra weight on my shoulders, especially, right. you know. Finish strong. Coming, yeah, yeah, especially yeah. coming after Ever Upward. Ever Upward for me is, you know, like the best thing I've, I, I, you know, I, I don't like to, you know, like pat myself on the back. I let, you know, we're, as authors, we're our own, our own worst critics, you know, like you said, but at the same time, part two, Ever Upward was, you know, it was five years. But at the same time, I look back at, the, at that book and I was just like, damn, this is good. This is really yeah. good. Um, and I even, um since my wife isn't going to have time to read it anytime soon, I just started basically like explaining the story to her last night. And as I was talking, it was just like, wow, this is complex. There's a lot that goes into this one. Um, right. And so now it's just like, what is going to happen with part three? You know, it's like that sort of weight on my shoulders. Is it going to be as good? Um And so... I know how you feel, you know, when it comes to that. So, in addition to selling the books online, you've been able—have you been able to kind of like, you know, take the books to schools and everything and be able to speak there? Um,
1: Absolutely, yeah. Schools and libraries and bookstores. Um, I spend a lot of time with children. I set. I have my degree in elementary education. I taught as an elementary school teacher for many years. Um, so, any opportunity I have to connect with kids. It's my favorite. Besides the actual crafting part, um, being with students and talking to them about reading and writing is a joy. So I really just having the books in my life as an avenue to connect with them and their lives and their journeys is a blessing.
0: So when you when you speak to them, are you speaking about the writing craft in general, and then work your way over to um, to your books or do you start off just talking about the books in general?
1: Um, you know it's funny. I just did a whole um, a whole event over a weekend, and I talked so much about craft with them I didn't realize until the following weekend that I never really talked much with them about my book, which is funny because I was sort of there to promote my books, but Mm -hmm. I feel like my passion for actual writing is more important for them to see, you know, than me plugging my book and why you should read this story. Um, I love when kids come away feeling like writing is something that they can do. Reading is something that they should pursue. So um, I do both. I do both.
0: That is a great feeling. I love being you know having the opportunity to speak with kids and yeah. to tell them not only just tell, you know like like what you said not only just to tell them you know like about what you've done but to say this is what you can do
1: right right
0: so you have the book you know you're you're talking to you know you're talking to kids about it and everything um do you remember that first time that you were able to speak to kids you know like in front in person and basically say you know like hold up the book and everything, get, get them, you know, get to tell a little bit of the story and get to see that, you know, that, uh, that response from them.
1: Yes, of course. Everybody remembers their first time. And, oh, yeah. um, and, and just then it's always, it's always great for me to go into a classroom or a space where um, the kids have already read the book mm-hmm. and they're my favorite because they're so excited to talk to me about all of it. And why did this happen? And sometimes they're angry about how things end up. And sometimes they have questions about why I chose the things that I chose for this particular journey. And um, it's always fun to hear their opinions and takes on the story, the Mm -hmm. stories. And... um, I think watching their enthusiasm, watching someone else's enthusiasm for something you created, is one of the most glorious things. um, Really is experience, yeah.
0: It really is, and and it's and it just it's even better when when it's a kid. Um, There's something about it, just seeing that, you know, like if you tell them that you're a writer, that you have this this kind of character that can, you know, stand up to, you know, say like anything that they've seen in the movies
1: right. and just
0: that response, like, you know, big, like wide eyes and everything. I, it's, it, that, that's a drug. You just, you just gotta keep on, you know, you just it keep is. on chasing it. Today's show is brought to you by audible audible is offering our listeners a free audio book with a 30 day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash excelsiorjourneys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. So you have the book. It's becoming a success. It's getting a lot of momentum. Um, and then you have some ideas for where it goes in the future. So the second book comes out, what's that resp- What's that feeling like?
1: Um, scary, mm-hmm. because the clay lion, people just. Loved, 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 and then it's always the fear is is are the other books going to live up to that? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you you do your best as an author. That's all you can do. You have the story inside of you, and you share it, and um, for some people, yes, for some people, no, um, <laughs> but you do the best that you can and and hope to. Like you said about the trilogy before, bring something full circle and have a satisfying ending for the reader and for your characters. Yes. At the end.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, you gotta do right by your characters. You know you, you do, have to you do. Yeah. You do. Um, so how many books total do you have do you have out now?
1: Um so seven are out. Wow. Number Number eight comes out, um, March 19th and number nine is on submission to publishers right now. And number 10 is sitting here (laughs) on my screen in front of me. So that's, so yeah, this will be 10, which is ah, crazy, but yeah. So that's 10
0: books in six years.
1: Oh, uh, well, I'm never going to finish this one at the end of 2018. So I would seven, say seven years, Nah let's say seven, let's say okay. seven. All yeah. right.
0: Yeah. Seven's good. Seven's good to work. <laughs> that's, that's terrific. That's uh, that's, you know, um, you know, it's, it's very iffy back and forth. Like I always go back and forth, whether, you know, like whether from parts unknown is five books or one book because it right. was broken up into a five part serial. But at the same time, it was just like, eh, it's still. They can be, you know. I, I'll just go ahead and say yes. They're five. They're five separate books. So, so yeah. So, that's that's my best way of saying yeah. I I do well too. You know, like I got seven books here.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, Well, and I don't think you know. It's funny. I don't think we can. I I have friends that are so prolific that are putting out four and five books in a year. Um, Michelle I, Lynn. Oh, oh, yes. Michelle
0: Michelle Lynn is like, I mean, I need her to speak to be my spirit animal like she I know. Is, and I know. getting getting I to know speak with her it. getting to speak with her and Michelle Bryan at uh, at Pencon this past September was such a joy and yeah. um, and which is episode three here. So, you know, like that's that was even that's even better that we were able to uh, to capture it and but at the same time, you could not see my eyes widen when she talked about how many books she 's able to come out with at, you know it's
1: amazing it 's amazing, it's, yeah she, obviously i don 't prioritize my life well i 'm doing something wrong perhaps <laughs> i don 't know i 'm probably procrastinating too much on Twitter or something i don 't know, but um it is what it is i 'm too old to change i 'm pretty certain, so i 'll just keep plugging along here at my slow and steady rate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know that I can pick up, you know, pick up the pace in terms of production. I don't know if I'll ever get to the rate that uh, the rate that Michelle is. Um, But at the same time, it's a good, uh, it's a good, it's a good, um, it's a good line to strive for.
1: Right. (laughs) Right.
0: It's something good to kind of keep in, keep in the back of your head. So when in 2015, That was when our paths really crossed, you know, because not only did we, you know, not only did, you know, did we know each other through uh, YA Authors Rendezvous, what was your, uh, when did you join up with, uh, with that, with that group, by the way?
1: I met Patrick in Miami, Florida at the Miami Book Fair, um, Patrick
0: Hodges, that, by the way. A, correct,
1: yes, in fall of that year. And he said, oh, you have to join this group, we're amazing. And I said, of course I will. And he wasn't lying, They, yeah. you all are absolutely my favorite YA group. Um, so I'm so glad our paths, I'm so glad my paths crossed with Patrick because that led to crossing paths with so many other amazing people you know we all help each other along on this journey and i would not be where i am if i hadn't crossed paths with so so many different folks along the way
0: that's something that that uh, that a lot of authors really need to take into consideration with joining these kinds of groups now um now a lot of people think that you know that they're just kind of spending all their time on those groups when they could be writing and in some in some cases that may that may wind up being true but at the same time, it's um, it's very valuable to have that kind of a support system, even if it's just a virtual one, um, because right. you need that reminder that you're not alone in this.
1: Right. Absolutely. I agree. When I, when I wrote The Clay Lion and that book came out and I had no idea, when people liked it, I didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I spent probably five months just crying because I felt very, very alone. Mm. I didn't know what to do. Um, No one in my family could appreciate, they tried, but they couldn't appreciate what I was sort of feeling or going through. Um, And when I was a new mother, I felt the exact same way. And at that point, someone suggested, you need to get online and find a mom's group. And so, finally, after about five months of struggling as a new author, I thought to myself, "Well, why don't I do what I did when I was a new mom to pull me up out of my new mommy depression?" Now I've got this book, and I'm a new book mommy, and I'm I'm having the same sort of postpartum <laughs> depression. And I said, "Well, maybe there'll be maybe maybe there'll be people online." And lo and behold, they were all there, and um, it was it was the it was the thing that got me to keep writing without, without a group of supportive people. I would have never written a second book or a third or anymore.
0: That's yeah. I mean, it, it really, it really is something. So, um, and also when you're online and finding that kind of support system, you're also finding um, other people that are basically saying, look at this, you know, look at, this kind of contest look at this kind of contest right and eventually you come across something like the kindle book review and what um what was that what was that experience for you
1: um so i made a set of goals for myself at the end of 2014 um i do it every year what am i going to do what are my goals for the next year and i write them all down you know you're supposed to to put things into the universe and write them into fruition. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a few goals for 2015. And one of them was to enter the clay lion in a few contests and review, you know, arenas just to sort of see what professionals thought of the book as opposed to just average readers, I guess. Not that one is more important than the other, but it was just another step along the journey.
0: It's of like um, validation. You know, it's like a
1: yeah, something that yeah. kind
0: of reminds you that you, you kind of do know what you're doing.
1: Right, right. Some validation. Um, and so I just sort of uh, picked a few of them that I thought looked, that I knew had good reputations and were reputable and carried some good um, clout with them. And I entered the Clay Lion in, in three that year. And I won all three of those award contests that the book did. Um, mm-hmm. So that was pretty exciting. And um, that was a good year. That was a very oh, yeah. good year.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing, I think it was, didn't it total total out with like five um, awards?
1: Um, I, I got extra. I only won three. I did get... Um, a literary classic seal of approval, which, um, yeah. And you got which, the five star,
0: if... you got the five star from Reader's Favorite. I
1: did. Yes. Well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That,
0: you know, that I mean, it's, that's, that's one of those things where it's just like, that's, that's a, that's a solid validation there. You know, right. You know, getting from them. I still it's remember getting, <laughs> yeah, I still, I still remember getting this, getting that uh, five star seal for from Parts Unknown and Excelsior Got a four star from them, and so it was almost like it, it was kind of like sticking up for the little guy, for this you know this scrappy little you know this little book that I, well not a little book but
1: <laughs> right 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 books
0: that I know you know that I knew was a tough niche to fill and was going to be was going to be a hard sell. It was just like I don't really care if this one sells. I just need to get it out. You know right. And, And that's why, you know, but I feel like with this other series that I have brewing in my head that takes place after Excelsior, I was just like, I can't afford to do that again. Um, I can't, you know, say like, well, it's its own little monster. It needs to, it needs to play to market. You know, it, it, it needs to with, with this. So um, do you think of that when, when you come, when, uh, when you're getting ready to get your next book up and running? Like, do you think about the market? Do you think about, or do you think about it just like, you know, this is the story I want to tell and this is
1: what it's going to be. That's a super loaded question. Um, I never did try and write to a market. I know there was like a harem phase that writers went through and then like mermaids, everybody's writing around mermaids or, and I've never, never written to a trend Because the truth is by the time you realize something's a trend, if you're gonna write a book and have it fully edited and ready for publication, by the time all of that happens, the trend is over and and the reading audience is likely moved on and you're left with a book that everyone is going to say, We already have a mermaid book or we already have a heron book or you know, we already have those, so we don't need another. Um so I don't try to write to trends. With that being said, at this point in my career, I have to be careful about writing something that will be marketable um, Mm -hmm. in my genre. And so my agent is invaluable in terms of me pitching something to her and saying, what do you think about this? And her being able to say, you know, editors here, editors there, that's not something they're really looking for right now. And then I'll pitch something and she'll say, yes, I know a bunch of editors that are interested in something like that. So oh. go ahead and work on that. Um, yes. So it's not necessarily working writing towards a trend, but if I'm gonna spend my time on writing something now, I wanna know that there's a market for it or, so it doesn't just languish either on a shelf or in no man's land in terms of not being picked up on a submission.
0: Yeah. I, I definitely know where you, where you are with that. Um, so when, um, so speaking of, you know, writing to market and writing diff, you know, these different types of stories, um, the clay lion is its own trilogy, correct?
1: Correct. All
0: right. So the other books that you have are, do they take place in the same universe? Are they, their own, their own, um, their own series or are there a bunch of different standalones? What's, uh, what's, what, what's their stories?
1: Okay. Um, so the um, Seven's Prophecy series is three books, another trilogy. It's Among the Shrouded, um, Gather the Sentient, and Beyond the Sanctified. Um, and those three books, they're not YA. Um, they're probably NA if people would embrace that as a genre, but the publishing world doesn't love NA. Now um, that's, now that's
0: new, um, NA <laughs> new
1: adult. Like, you know, the characters are in their young 20s. Um, they're just sort of starting out, finding their place in the world. And, and this book was about, uh, these books were about um, seven people that were part of a prophecy to save the world. And then there were seven people that were part of a prophecy to end the world. And so that's what the series is about, sort of them all coming together, finding each other, figuring out what their place is and then going to battle against the other side. Awesome. Um, yeah, but definitely not a YA. Um, the next to last mistake that comes out in March, that's a YA contemporary. Um, mm-hmm. and I always felt like, you know, the clay lion and tin Man and a straw man, although they did have the science fiction element of the time travel, um, they were very much contemporary books. The mm-hmm. world those characters lived in, was i always sort of thought of it as a parallel universe to this one um it was very much like this it's just there was time travel there um Mm -hmm. so more speculative fiction than um but very contemporary so i loved getting back to that contemporary with the next last mistake and then um phoebe unfired is on submission now and that's contemporary as well and i love writing contemporary (laughs) It might be my favorite, but the book I'm working on now, I'm back to speculative again. So we'll see. Yeah.
0: So with, um, you were, you were saying that, you know, the clay line is kind of its own parallel universe, which, you know, I, I I totally get that. It's kind of like how Watchmen is, you know, like how, um, how all of a sudden, like in the 1930s, you know, we discovered that, you know, superheroes are real and then, um, And then it goes off on its story and it builds and builds and builds until we are winning the war in Vietnam because a superpowered being is going in and cleaning house. So is there like a, um, is there a moment, this may be a weird question, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like the mirror universe in Star Trek, how there was, um, how they went through the whole first contact Vulcans landed on earth. And instead of, holding out their hand in friendship, they held out a gun and blew the Vulcans away so they can take their technology and move on into becoming the Terran Empire that, you know, the, that, you know, the fans all know and love. Um, so was there, is there in your mythology, is there sort of like that kind of moment of like a turning point? Or is it just somebody that just happened to, was able to you know, like, you know, discover time travel technology and was able to move from there?
1: Right. Yeah. So basically in, in that realm where the clay line series takes place, there's a, I wrote a book also that is um, it's Brooke's time travel notebook. So when she goes back in time, when anyone goes back in time, they have to go take classes. It's like driver's ed, but you have to, you have to learn about the history of time travel. You have to Know the consequences of what you're about to do you have to design brilliant all these yeah you have to that sign is really
0: that is such a great tool because like that's not only something that's really interesting that people can kind of go back to, but they can yeah. but it becomes like its own entity
1: right right Brilliant. I love that yeah, so it's this it's her it's her book I wrote the book the the manual that she gets in her class to learn about time travel. So in that book is all of the history of time travel and and how time travel works. And um I made up a whole bunch of stuff. Um but it's all sort of the history, the legislation that went on, the regulations that were put on time travel and and how it all sort of came to be over several generations in her in her world. Um, And also in that notebook, which is kind of I love, um, we're all her doodles. Like, you know, you're a teenage girl stuck sitting there in class. So in the book is all her doodles about like her notes about what she's going to do when she gets back there, what she needs to remember, what's, you know, what's going on in her head while she's sitting there in this class, you know, having all this history and government shoved down her throat. Um, Oh,
0: that is genius. I love that. I absolutely love that concept. That is so cool.
1: Yeah.
0: That is so cool. Now I'm even more of a fan, you know, just.
1: Yay. Who knew?
0: <laughs> so, um, um, God, I'm just trying to think of like where, where to go from there. All Sorry, right, so, I didn't mean to blow um, your mind like that. No, it, it did. You know, like, and I you know, like, just remember thinking about it because it reminded me of, um, of during, uh, during the edits of, of Excelsior when I was working with my story editor. Um, she was asking me all these different questions about the planet that Excelsior comes from, um, and I—these are all questions I wasn't thinking of when I first created the character in high school. So she was basically forcing me to create a mythology, um, right? To she was forcing me to world build,
1: and okay, I'm, I suck at it. By the way, I yeah,
0: I'm—I'm I'm not the best at it. You know, like it's <laughs> one of those things I definitely have to be kind of shoved into. But once it clicks, then it really clicks, and right. that's kind of the way it felt with with me. Um, and I feel like um, I feel like Excel um, Ever Upward was able to kind of toe that line of keeping the story going while still filling filling the world around it. Because you know, like I'm very impatient when it comes to my storytelling. I just want to get on with it. I don't want to spend like you know three pages talking about wallpaper. Um, so thankfully, I didn't have to do that. So, um, right. so speaking of editor, what is your team? So every, you know, everyone's got, you know, got to have like, you know, a team in terms of beta readers or editors or cover designers, formatters, whatever, you know, so, um, and now an agent. So, right. um, so what's, so what's uh, your team all about?
1: So when I was, when I was doing a lot of it in house, um, I did have my own editor um, Ann Zirkel, and she was my editor for the Clay Lion series um, and for the Sevens Prophecy series. She did all of my editing for that. And then, of course, I had beta readers that were largely from my author groups during that time, um, which I'm so grateful for. Um, once I... Um, so The Next to Last Mistake... Um, is being traditionally published so with that publisher I got um, I have an editor with a publisher a publicist with a publisher Um, so I have all of that going on there um, which has been really really nice not to have to sort of um, farm out and right now I have advanced reading copies of that book out so I guess I guess now my beta readers are everybody on net galley. Like the whole world is my beta reader now, which nice. is <laughs> sort of scary. Um, yeah. yeah, because they, people have a lot of opinions about things, but um, at the end of the day, it's, it's been tremendously rewarding to be able to work with so many different talents and so many different people along the way. And each new step brings another, Person into the fold um, to help me be better at what I do, which is surreal. that's what we
0: all want, you know. That's right. That's the goal right there, right. Um, but there's another goal that you've reached that uh, that a lot of people kind of yearn for, and it's something that is definitely. I don't want to, you know, like I, obviously it would be great to happen to happen for myself. Um, and in fact, like by the time uh by the time this uh, this episode goes live i'll have finished up the uh the first day of a week long promotion for excelsior um which would be um since it's now in wide distribution, it is available everywhere for just ninety nine cents for this week and on nice. december third on december third just yesterday um by the time this airs um it will be um i'll have gone through having a book bub promotion for it.
1: Nice. Wow. um, Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying for seven years, seven years. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. It's, it's still kind of blowing my mind and we'll know, you know, like how successful it it goes, you know, after, after the fact, but, um, but it was some, but uh, when something like that happens and you know that it's going to be Shown on a Monday, and the USA Today list goes until that next Sunday. There is always that possibility lurking in the background that you could, in fact, make a run at the USA Today best-selling title. Right now, you have accomplished that.
1: I didn't do what it was, by myself, though.
0: What was but uh, but <laughs> you went like you went through? You know, you obviously deserve the title because
1: well it was a lot it was a lot of work uh, over oh, almost a year it took almost really? a year of preparing and marketing campaigning um it took it took a long time it was a lot of fun i met a lot of great authors um uh it was a lot of work it was a lot of work but yeah. um it was, it, it, it paid off, you know, yeah. we got the letters and, um, you know, we can take that away from you, your name on that list. So. Exactly. Uh, yeah.
0: Exactly. And that's something that, you know, that I, you know, that I hear from, you know, from a lot of people, just very kind of down on the whole um, combining, you know, like a lot of different authors into one anthology and all of you kind of, you know, pushing to get it out there. Right. Some people, you know, some people would say like, "Oh, you bought your way on the on the list." That's not the case. That's not the case at all. Oh. Yeah, because- no. I
1: mean, all, every single one of our sales was a legitimate sale yeah. to a reader. You know, I know there are groups out there that they just buy their own sales. Um, right. There are groups that will do that. And I know...
0: They're the big five. I, the big five publishers are, are <laughs> you know, guilty more than more than once of doing that because yeah. they know that, especially in the nonfiction category, because you have like a, a presidential candidate or a big time name who's already established. They go ahead, they want to write a book and everything. And then all of a sudden they need products to put out there at their, at the different, um, at their different speaking engagements. So, right you know, it, that creates its own thing. And all of a sudden it gets them right at the, at the, on either the USA today or New York times or both. Right. Um. But it's, but at the same time, it's just like, there's a whole, you know, like I've seen it, I've, I've seen it. Um, I haven't Um. experienced it yet, but there's a whole lot of work that goes into it when you're doing an anthology like that. Right. Um, right. So I got well, nothing but I mean, respect for everyone who do, who, who are able to do it and pull it off and, actually, like, make a run of it.
1: It's about pooling resources, you know, and pooling fan bases and, 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 and pooling your experiences and your knowledge and your marketing abilities. And somebody might be really great at graphics, but you're horrible at it. So, you know, you let the graphics person do the graphics. And if somebody has a, a huge fan base on this social media platform, you you let them take that. So it's, it's about not having to be a jack-of-all-trades you can you can sort of every everybody does their thing that they're good at and you sort of pull together to collectively um to, to bring in bring in a fan base of people which is exactly what a large publisher does they do the exact same thing mm-hmm. um, the difference and this is just you're collecting a bunch of authors together to do that work as opposed to a team at a publisher to do that work um, right. either way the work gets done but it's about pulling those resources. Um, and you know, if you're, if you're at a small press or you're at a, even a mid mid house, you know, you, those sorts of publishers don't necessarily have the time or the dedicated resources to, to, to get you out there. Um, so you can work together to get each other out there. And, you know, even in my, even in my, um, group of authors, for 2019, um, even the men and women who are publishing with with big five houses,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: they're still out there doing the marketing and and putting together newsletter subscriber bases and doing giveaways and sending out art copies. They're they're still doing a lot of the legwork. Um, that that all authors are sort of expected to do in this day and age, yeah. unless so. you're, unless you're a list and I don't, <laughs> I yeah. don't have any dreams of that happening, but I, I have a feeling I'm going to be doing a lot of marketing for a long time.
0: I I totally with you, with you right there. And you have, a, you have a strong, um, if I'm not mistaken, you do have a newsletter out, correct?
1: Oh yes. yes. Yeah.
0: And um, you have a, you have a good uh, subscriber list for, with that?
1: I do. Yep. And, uh, you know, again, I've been, I've been at this for probably five years on this, the newsletter, um, you know, building and, and collecting subscribers. And again, uh, a lot of it is, is pooling resources and, and I'm still doing it to this day at this point. What's awesome is being able to use what I've learned over these years and now use that to help, other new authors coming in to be able to they're just starting out you know they have no idea um and it's just experience i that's all i have is experience it's the only thing i have that they don't but if i can use my experience to help somebody else along the way that's that's the reason you're here right so if i if i'm successful but i never turn around and help somebody else be successful then then my success is wasted so at this point any success I have, I'm trying very hard to turn around and help someone else be That's successful a,
0: that too. That is an amazing way to look at it. And it's something that, um, that we need more of in this in this writing community. And I, I love seeing that, you know, with, from you, from other authors, um, you know, just, uh, I mean, basically with me, this show is, you know, it's not just a, an avenue for people to kind of put, you know, get their... Um, you know, get their experience out there, get their, you know, get their time in the spotlight. But what it also is, is allows me to kind of pick their brain a little bit because I suck at, uh, and when it comes to news, uh, newsletter building, um, it seemed like, you know, I was going with a newsletter for, for quite a while. And it seemed like it was just the same 30 people that were opening it up. And it was just, it, it was like a ghost town. So I was, it, it, I just, I cut it off and I realized that, you know, like I need to, build it back up from ground, from the bottom floor. And I've realized that, you know, like that there's, you know, I, I'm seeing people with, you know, a thousand subscribers, 2000, 2500, whatever. And I'm just like, how does that happen? You know, like, how does, how does that happen so quickly? You know, cause I've seen, you know, like some people are just like, I'm starting up a newsletter. Oh, I got several hundred you know subscribers. It's like, how? <laughs> just that, that That just blows my mind to see that
1: the the key to it all is is pooling um is is pooling resources with other authors and especially authors who write in your same genre but almost in your same niche genre so you know if you're writing ya fantasy Mm -hmm. pooling with other authors that are writing ya fantasy if you can do something collectively together to encourage people to subscribe to you collectively, um, mm. you're going to find that those subscribers are more engaged with you because you're writing the sort of books that they like to read. Um, yeah. I, I didn't have a lot of success early on just pooling with, with whoever, because then if I've, got, if I've got subscribers that are reading adult mysteries, they're going to take one look at my YA Contemporary and they're going to unsubscribe from me immediately because I just don't, I'm not, they're not my fan base. Right. Um, so I think my best suggestion for finding a good solid subscriber base would be to reach out to other authors who are writing in your same niche genre and yeah. pull together um, to collect people who might be interested if they're interested in you they might be interested in these other authors as well mm-hmm. and um and there's always there's always someone out there who is less savvy than you are and there's always someone out there that's more savvy than you are so find both and and bring them into your circle
0: That's excellent that, that's a, that's yeah. an excellent uh, way to look at it so um with that in mind where can where can readers find you?
1: Where can't readers find me, George? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm usually I'm in the car driving carpool. That's there where you'll you find me. Um, <laughs> so I have my website, which is just com. It's super easy. Um, I'm on all the socials. I'm on Facebook, just Amalia John. Twitter, at Amalia John. Instagram. <laughs> Oh, that's right. It's super hard. So it's A-M-A-L-I-E-J-A-H-N. And go. if, uh, <laughs> just Google and it's all going to show up. I think there's another Amalia John who lived in the 1800s that comes up if you Google her. But beyond that, I think I might be the only one. So I don't think maybe. she had
0: a strong social media presence. So. She
1: probably uh, didn't. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. So yeah. yeah, you can find me.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Amalia, thank you so much for, for being a part of the show. And um, I really hope that, uh, that all of, all of you, um, all of you authors that are up and coming that are, um, that are really kind of searching for their spot in this, in this writing community. Um, If you're a YA author, definitely check out YA Authors Rendezvous. Um, And um, by all means, you know, just, keep yourself you know keep yourself passionate about the work you're doing um and just keep on plugging away because um you know experience is a is a wonderful tool that will get you to where you want to be but at the same time passion is what really drives us all and amalia is a perfect example she had a story that she had to tell she had the drive to get it told and she has reaped the benefits, you know, almost almost immediately you know, since. And so, to wrap up National Novel Writing Month the way that we are, I really think that this is uh, that we have spoken with uh, some great authors from all walks of life, all different types of experiences, and it has been just an absolute pleasure. Not only getting to pick their brain a little bit, you know, when it comes to different things that they're doing that's working, but also just to know that. As writers, you know, writing is the most solitary job in the world, but, you know, because at the end of the day, it's just you sitting in front of a keyboard or a typewriter. But at the end of the day, you know, we are not alone. We are a writing community. We do support each other. And when one of us succeeds, many of us succeed. And so um, this is something to keep in mind. So um, in December, we're going to be talking with editors, we're going to be talking to agents, we're going to be talking to a publisher, and we're going to talk about what comes after you get that uh, draft the way you want it to be. Um, just writing that one first draft in National Novel Writing Month, that is not the, the final step that you, um, that will get you to um, getting your work out there in the world. There is much more that you need to do. So we're going to talk about it all, and we look for, I really look forward to um, having you guys there every step of the way. And for Amalia John, this is George Soroy saying to you, Ever Upward. We'll see you next week.